before we get started, there's something you need to know. I'm dying. The tests are conclusive. There's nothing that I can do about it. And in case you're wondering, you're dying too. From the moment you begin to live, you begin to die. And it takes a song, like Tim McGraw's song, to remind us that life is not a dress rehearsal. That these moments that we're given day by day are precious. They're a gift. Or perhaps it takes living in a community like ours. We're now in the last 24 days, a third young person, this time in our fire college, not yet a first responder, took her life this past week. My hope and my prayer this morning is that we would lean in and let the words of Jesus speak to our hearts. We've all invited family to come and visit us. And this week, Greg and your wife, Sarah, and her mom comes from Illinois. And like we all do, we go over to the Springs, Juniper Springs, and it's going to be a wonderful time in Florida. Never realizing that mom would pass. Life, certainly, at its best, is fragile. For that reason, I don't know what your favorite numbers are, but for me, my favorite numbers are 86,400, 1,440, and 24. You see, your best day is not your birthday, and your best day is not your last day, and your best day is not all of the days, the anniversaries and holidays in between your first day and your last day. See, your best day, your most valuable day, your most important day is today. 86,400 seconds today. 1,440 minutes today. 24 hours today. Uh, there's a little game happening this afternoon, and there are two teams, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, and they have to win the Super Bowl today. Oh, yesterday they won games that allowed them to get to the Super Bowl, but the Super Bowl is played today. Mahomes will have to play his best game Today, What happened yesterday doesn't matter and tomorrow doesn't matter. It's today. Jalen Hurts will have to play his best game today. The, the Kelsey brothers on both teams will have to play their best game today. Too often, we're really not living like we're dying. We're dying to live. That's true in a story in John chapter 4, if you have your Bible, John 4, there's this lady who is alive. She's breathing, but she's dying on the inside until she has an incredible experience 
with Jesus. And if we're really going to lean into this space of living like we're dying, it's not about reading a self-help book. It's not about having more education or going on trips or all the other things that we think will bring us the satisfaction. Rather, I think the secret is found in experience with Jesus. So if you got your Bible, check out John chapter four. We'll jump in verse number three. Look what it says. So he, that's Jesus, left Judea and went back once again to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob's, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus, this kumbaya, cuddle God that you want to control does the unspeakable. He, he does what's unexpected. He does what's unethical, unacceptable. You don't want your Messiah talking to people like this. You'll notice as we read through John 4, there are often these parentheses. In English, you know it's parenthetical. In other words, as a writer, John knew that it wouldn't be just Jewish people that were reading the story. Jewish people would get it. Jewish people understood that like you weren't supposed to hang out with them Samaritans. They were not the kind of people that you wanted to be around them. They were the wrong people. It was the wrong place and it was certainly the wrong time. Not that group of people. So we who aren't Jewish don't fully understand that. So that's why you'll see these parentheses. So he keeps teaching us says in verse number nine, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. In other words, Jesus is all by himself. Notice what the Samaritan woman says in verse nine. You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans, a little less a, a woman and the kind of background, kind of who this woman was. Jesus answers her. No matter what questions you might have today, no matter how out of the box it might seem, I want you to know Jesus has an answer for you. Jesus is interested in us. Jesus isn't against us. Jesus is for us. Jesus answers her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, <laughs> you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? In other words, you don't even have physical resources. You can't fend for yourself. How, how could you, you don't even have a water bottle. How could you give me this living water? You might be confused by Jesus this morning. You might really wonder how, how, how can this Jesus be large and in charge? How could he come alongside and all the crazy things that I'm experiencing in my life? Life. She was asking the very same question. She says, are you greater than the father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus again answered, he's not put off by your questions. When you don't understand, when you don't get him, when, when, when you're confused and you're frustrated, you can go to him. You can ask him these, these questions. 
He says this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Notice her response. The woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He tells her, go, call your husband and come back. (laughs) She says to him, I have no husband. She replied, Jesus says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then notice her response. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. So how do you and I live like we're dying? How do we step out with that kind of freedom, that that kind of satisfaction that we're not all worried about what we've done or who likes us or doesn't like us or what's happening at the workplace or what's happening in the marketplace or what's happening in the government? How is it possible, besides just a song from Tim McGraw, besides a quote from Dr. King, can we really live like we're dying? And how? How do you do that? If you got your number two pencil, here's some thoughts that I think she experienced I've experienced, and my prayer is that we would experience it together. If you and I are going to really live like we're dying, it begins with a conversation with Jesus. That's what's happening here. She's having a conversation with Jesus. And I think some of us, we avoid a conversation with Jesus because we think he's mad at us. We think he's angry with us. I mean, he knows that I had five husbands, I'm divorced from all of them, and the guy I'm living with now, he's not, I mean, mean, he's going to know these things about me, and he's not going to want to talk with me. Listen, Jesus isn't mad at you. On the contrary, the whole reason that he came is he knew that in our humanity, we needed a savior, we needed a rescuer. This woman's at the well. It's noon. No one else is there. Jesus arrives. He's tired. And notice in verse 7, it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus says to her, He initiates the conversation. He is interested in you. You are valuable to him. It doesn't make a difference what you've done, what you've said, what you've smoked, what you've snorted, who you slept with, how you identify. None of those things matter. He initiates the conversation first with her. And he says, Will you give me? A drink. Jesus does the unexpected, the unspeakable. I mean, it's unethical. Nobody wanted their Messiah to be hanging out with somebody like that. You might say that Jesus was in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. We've been taught, right, to be at the right place at the right time with the right person. Jesus is in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. Many would say that he was disqualified. He, he no longer can lean in. I mean, he's, he's unclean. It's inappropriate what he's done. See, going to the well was festive. It was, it was social. Yes, it was physical. These ladies would go and, and actually get the water and take it back to their homes for their families. But the, the girlfriends were hanging out. 
as they walked to the well early in the morning and when it was cool and then later at night when it was cool it was it was irresponsible it was inconvenient it was irrational to go to the well at noon it was too hot it didn't make any sense to spend all that extra energy and effort and as these ladies early in the morning and late at night as they would walk to the well I mean they would talk about their husbands man, my man didn't do this and he was supposed to do this and he promised that he wouldn't be home and then about all the kind of stuff. They talk about the kids. They, they would talk about, you know, hey, did you see last night uh, on the real wives of Jerusalem? What happened? Can you believe she did that? And they did this and this and that. I mean, they're having this, this, this conversation going on. It, it was a declaration that they belonged. It, it was like, hey, we got asked to the homecoming dance. We're... we're, we're Accepted, we're valued, we're wanted. Samaritan woman, she's walking to the well at noon by herself. Nobody wants her. She's unacceptable. She's unwanted. Her actions and her attitudes. Everyone else, all the other women, as they're walking, they remind, hey, we, we belong. This is our tribe. This is our group. This is, this is, this is our family. We, 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 we're accepted. We're valued. We're loved. But for the Samaritan woman, not so much. She's alone. She's rejected. Worthless. Insignificant. The walk to the well in the morning was a long conversation in her brain about all the choices that she had made. And only if she wouldn't have married him, or maybe if she wouldn't have been at that spot in that place. And over and over, day after day, it's a constant reminder that she wasn't good enough to be loved. She had no value. And for some of us, it's a long drive to work every day. And as you drive to that job that you can't stand and in your mind over and over and over, the thoughts and the disconnect of failures and mistakes and decisions, that if you could go back and undo them, you would do it in a millisecond of time. Perhaps it's a date on a calendar. And when that day comes, it reminds you of how alone you really are. It reminds you of your choices, how you were rejected, and those long conversations about your mistakes and that constant declaration that you're just not good enough. I also know that you might not be alone. You might be popular. You, you might have all kinds of friends. You might be invited to the party. You sit at the cool kids table. You, you have a nice house and a nice career. And, and it seems from the outside that you got everything going your way. But if you could be honest this morning and pull back all the veneer and the pretense, you would share that this blessing has really become a burden. And that sense of value and belonging, yeah, they like me because of what I do for them and what I give them. And that success that we are so thirsty for can often numb our soul to the God that we need. And to some degree, the dilemma that's before us this morning as a church, as a gathering group of people, 
churches all across our city, all across our county, all across our state, and all across our country and around the world. Churches, so to speak, are a well where people come and you came this morning and you belong and you're in a small group and you're on a team and you know her and you know him and we come because we, we share the same ideologies and we embrace the same kind of faith and, 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 and so we, we belong and we become a well. And I wonder how many people in our community like that Samaritan woman thinks, yeah, those churches, that's a well for them. I, I can't go there. I, I, we put on our Sunday best and we make it look so pretty and we make it look as we have no problems and we have no issues. I like to say it this way just so that I can connect with you on a very practical way. I, I think as Christ followers, right, we walk around and we've got, well, we've got gas, we've got flatulence, but we've got a bottle of potpourri and we just keep spraying it because we don't want no one to think we don't smell. And you got your potpourri and I got my potpourri and we keep kind of spraying everything and all we spell is potpourri. Hey, what if we put the potpourri down and just get honest, we're all passing gas and we need the aroma of God on our life. Maybe it's time we take off our Sunday best and just let people see us in our rags and understand we don't have it all together. We have issues and hiccups and habits and hurts just like everybody else. And the thing that we all need more than anything is Jesus. It's a dilemma. And I know moms and dads, we do our best to kind of raise our kids up and we don't want them to be with the wrong crowd and the wrong people and be in the wrong places and at the wrong time. But if you're a follower of Jesus, he showed up at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. Maybe it's time we who call ourselves Christ followers, we start showing up with the wrong people at the wrong time and the wrong places. If you think for a millisecond that a vote in November is going to change the culture. You are lying to yourself. You got your can of political potpourri and you're spraying it all over the place. Jesus. She's having a conversation with Jesus. My hope and prayer is that in this city and in this county and in central Florida, that people who are broken, confused, alone, rejected, no matter who they've slept with and what they smoked or what they wear or how they identify, who they vote for, that they would wake up and at least believe that there's a place on Mary Camp where hope can be found. It's not a destination to arrive. It's a person to discover. And his name is Jesus. In verse 15, this woman says, hey, sir, yeah, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This place at noon, the constant reminder of my failures, the decisions that I made, the men that I slept with, the other homes that I ruined because I attracted that husband, all the things that I've done along the way. Please give me this water. I wanna, I wanna drink this water. I don't wanna be back at this place feeling this way. If there's a potential for a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, eighth chance, thousandth chance, I want that. If I can move from being abandoned to being accepted and adopted into God's family, please, sir, give me a drink of this water. See, people, 
people need to see that unless Jesus shows up in our lives, well, it's just over for us. It's not our character, it's not our values and our education and all the things that we try to offer up as a solution. His name is Jesus. This is what it means to live like you're, you're dying. Is it starts with a conversation with him, connecting with him. But then there's something else that's important. It happens. This is a little bit more challenging. This is normally where many of us want to pull up. Having a conversation with Jesus doesn't seem to be, well, that challenging. It can be challenging, but uncovering our flaws, letting the weaknesses of our life be seen by others. Now, friends, that's challenging. Uh, go back in verse 15. The woman says to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here and draw water. He tells her, go call your husband and come back. <laughs> I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The amazing way of Jesus, she just lies through her teeth. But Jesus Recognizes she's at least being truthful in this. Yeah, you don't have no husband. You're right. That's not the whole story, girlfriend. You ain't telling the whole truth. But he doesn't get his King James Bible out and beat her over the head with it. He doesn't start giving her some lecture. He says, you're right. You're, you, you, you've been kind of truthful. Then notice what he says. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then she says, sir, I can tell you a prophet. <laughs> Whoa, you know some stuff. Wow. Uncover your flaws. We're, we're not able to really live like we're dying because we spend so much time trying to cover up our junk, give this pretense that we don't have any problems and we don't have any issues. And what's rather than just uncover it. Psalms 32 and five, the Bible says this. Then I let it all out. King David says, I let it all out. I said, I'll come clean about my failures to God. Suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. And don't you want to live that? I can tell you that as a Marine in Okinawa, Japan, the pressure there was not a more angry man in the world. I've said before that if I could have murdered my father and got away with it, I would have. I, I just, I didn't want to do time. I didn't want to waste my life wasting on that man's life. I was, I was angry. I was mad. I was, I was looking for love. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, if, if she had a skirt, skirt, dress, short, if it was a woman and she said, yes, I'm like, cha-ching. You didn't want your daughters around me. You didn't want your wives around me. You didn't want anybody. I mean, my life. And then some navigator missionaries introduced me to Jesus. And I remember in that, in that room, fessing up my mess up and that sense of forgiveness. I sat down and wrote a letter to my dad and said, hey, dad, listen, I just met Jesus. I didn't even know what I was talking about. I just met Jesus, and I want you to know that I forgive you, and da -da 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 -da, all these kind of different things. I, I wish I could tell you that that relationship turned out perfect. Uh, it didn't. But God, he changed me. That sense of uncovering my flaws, we miss so much. I know this as a pastor. 
I, I've got stress and anxiety in my life because there's many times as a pastor, I try to cover it off. I want people to be happy with me. I, I want the church to be happy. I want us to move forward. All these kind of different things and that pressure and that stress. But when I uncover it and I give it to God in that sense of freedom, that's what allows me to step into that space and to live like I'm dying. In other words, he's not turned off by our mistakes. He came because of our sin. The only reason Jesus came to the earth and suffered the way that he suffered because he knew that we all sinned. See, too often we pursue a temporary solution for the pain of sin. That's the trouble with sin, is for a season it works. You get addicted to food, it numbs the pain. You get addicted to a chemical, a sport, a hobby, a career, sex, whatever it is. In the momentary time, that temporary solution seems to numb you from the disease of sin, but you know this to be true. It's temporary, it's not lasting. Jesus Christ is the permanent solution for the pain of sin. When you inject him into your life, you now become free from that pain, but you've got to uncover. Imagine how this story is different as she crosses her arms and says, who do you think you are? What do you tell you? You don't know anything about my parents. You don't know anything about how I grew up. You don't know anything what it's like being a Samaritan. You don't know what that second husband was doing to me and blah, blah. I mean, she could have begun all kinds of BCD, blame, complain, and defend, but she was willing in that moment to uncover it. It's as if she knew he knows my story, as if God's saying to her, I know your story, and I, God, want to be the next chapter in your life. And he's saying that to us this morning. He knows your story. And he says, I want to be the next chapter chapter. God doesn't, Jesus doesn't run out on us because of a flaw, because of a sin, because of a habit. Rather, he runs in to love you completely, unconditionally, forever. And I don't know where you might be on this dusty trail called life this morning, but if you've not yet begun following Jesus, this morning is your day. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He's having a conversation with you this morning. His spirit, would you just open up your heart right now to him? Right where you're sitting online. Hey, guys, behind bars, I don't care what the judge sentenced you to. I know this. There's a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And if you open up your heart, if we would all open up our hearts to him today. Right where you're sitting in the privacy of your mind, just say, hey, Jesus, I am open to you. Rescue me. Save me. I can't, I can't fix me. I believe that you love me so much that you died for me. You came alive again. And you died so that I can live. So I want to live the rest of my life knowing one day I'll die and see you face to face. And if you've prayed that prayer this morning, let me be the very first person to welcome you to God's family. Life won't be perfect, but I will tell you, you will always have the God of the universe in you. You will always have the Messiah with you, and you will always have the presence of the Holy Spirit for you in every moment of every day that you live.
help you grow, there is a Connect card at your chair. You can fill that card out as you leave today in the lobby, step by the connection desk or the number on the screen. Just text us and we'll, we'll grow. We'll grow together. No longer alone, no longer rejected, no longer ignored, no longer isolated, no longer abandoned, but forgiven and loved forever by God. Now, before we get on our way, let me just share this with you. We started a few minutes ago with a quote from Dr. King. Life isn't worth living until you have found something worth dying for. Perhaps the win for the win in this life is to discover who you're living for. For me, for me, Jesus isn't some sermon on a Sunday. Being a pastor is not some career thing. I am very uneasy with the role of being a pastor. I am least comfortable in the week in this role. I am more comfortable in a business setting around people who don't know you. I'm, I struggle in this role of being a pastor. This isn't something we do before the buffet line on Sunday. Like, I really believe that life with Jesus is best. I really believe that Jesus isn't some killjoy who takes all the fun out of life. And I really believe that the only way to die is with Jesus. That if you die without Jesus, there is no second chance. There is no grading on curve. There are two destinations for the human soul after we take our last breath. One is called heaven and one is called hell. And let me be clear about this. With this rash of suicides in our community, suicide is not the unpartable sin. A man or woman who gets to a point mentally, emotionally, and they decide to take their life, that is not an unpartable sin. Nowhere in the Bible does it say if you commit suicide that God would never forgive you of that. Some denomination, some pastor, some priest, some rabbi has lied to you. I'm sorry. The only unpardonable sin is the rejection of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, like a moment ago, when I invited you to trust Jesus as your Savior, and you say, uh, thank you, I'll keep living my southeastern Ocala life. Thank you very much, I got my 401k. Thank you very much, I'm all that in a bag of chips. I don't need you, Jesus. That's what sends you to hell. That's the only sin. Your porn doesn't send you to hell. Your affairs don't send you to hell. Cocaine doesn't send you to hell. You rejecting the Holy Spirit is a one-way ticket to hell. And listen, when you make a decision for Jesus, it changes you. It shouldn't be just a pastor on Sunday. My name is Mark. You need to hear this. If you're a Christ follower, the same Holy Spirit that lives in me lives in you. Start acting like it. This whole professional clergy thing, we need to take some toilet paper and wipe it off our butt and flush it down the toilet. We need to get back to a place where you, you are filled with the Spirit of God. You take the responsibility of stepping out and being witnesses in a broken, lost world for men and women to discover the hope is in Jesus. That's, that's who we are as Christ followers. Notice what she does, and I'll leave you with this. It's this, right? She has a conversation with Jesus, begins to change her. She leans in and she trusts God. She uncovers her flaws. And then finally, you really want to live like you're dying? 
live your life for others to discover hope in Christ. My heart beats the most when I lean into that space and I'm about to share with somebody who doesn't believe. When I'm at a restaurant, many of you have been with me at a restaurant, and you know what I do, right? She comes up, she gives us our food and everything, and then I'll say, hey, listen, my name's just Mark. We're about to have a prayer, you know, for the meal. Can we pray for you? I mean, my heart's beating. I mean, I mean, my undies are soaked because I'm sweating. I mean, I'm just like, ah, right? Because, I mean, I mean, I'm leaning in that territory. I'm not sure exactly what she's gonna do. When you live for others to discover hope in Christ, listen, hear me, you don't need to go somewhere for people to discover hope in Christ. You need to be somewhere. God's already planted you lacrosse. He's planted you on this team, in your school, at the gym that you work out, at your business, your neighborhood, wherever you bought your house, what your favorite restaurant is, wherever it is, God has placed you there. Be present in that place. Notice what she does. It's the complete opposite of what we do. She leaves her water jar, verse 28, which was her source of security. She went back to the town and she says to all the people, come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? First of all, they all knew what she had been doing. One of the reasons she was going at noon is none of the women wanted to be around her because she'd be stealing the man. They knew exactly. And they were saying to their man, hey, it's noon, you stay in the house, big boy. I, I've got find a friend on your phone and if you're at the well at noon, you in trouble. She didn't, hey, they already knew what she had been doing, but notice what happens. <laughs> they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Listen, if you want to impress people, show them your strengths. If you want to impact people, show them your weaknesses. Because she came clean, because she said, hey, listen, my life's jacked up. This guy just tells me everything about it. The Bible says they all came to him. They urged him, verse 40, to stay with them. He stays two more days. Because of his words, many more believers came. They said to this woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Hey, moms and dads, isn't this the goal? Don't, don't, don't you want your kids when they go off to college? I believe not because mom and dad or me, mom and papa. I believe because I've tasted and seen. And it was all because she revealed her weaknesses. Our friends don't need to hear all the great things. And all. They need to see how we are deeply dependent on Jesus. Like, if Jesus doesn't show up, we're over. I know that's true in my life. That angry Marine, he didn't go anywhere. He's still inside of here. I'm telling you, the wrong switch. That... that that impatience that I've got inside of me. And many of you know it. If you, you see that guy driving around town, right, in the light blue convertible with the top down, and I'm like right on your time. I'm, I'm so impatient, right? And apart from the spirit, I don't understand it. Everybody driving the speed lane, you know they don't pull you over unless you're like 15 miles over. You can get another 12 miles an hour in that thing. Let's get what we're trying to get. No, I don't, I mean, I don't mean that. I don't mean that. 
obey the rules, <laughs> obey the speed limits. But I, mean, I got this impatience thing inside of me and apart from the spirit of God on me, you're not gonna believe what I'm about to tell you. There's really only one woman in this room that knows it. Is the most insecure person in this room right now is me. I've never felt secure in my life. And that's not an excuse to live in a certain way, but I, I've known from the way that I was raised and trying to overrate, and, and I, just, I just, inside of me, there's always this thing that's happening. And apart from the Spirit of God on me, what I might do or not do. She goes back and she tells, she tells everybody. Notice what it says in Galatians 5. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. This is an act of true freedom. This rugged American lifestyle that you're an individualist and you can do whatever you want to do, that's of the devil. That's not the Bible. The church ecclesia is a group of people. We come together for a greater cause. This is not my life. My life is not my own. I am a follower and believer of Jesus. This is not my home. I have a real destination. It's called heaven. You want to live like you're dying. Live for others to discover hope in Christ. A group of people are going to do that actually this evening. They've actually received all kinds of criticism. For the first time ever in the history of the Super Bowl, Jesus is going to the Super Bowl this afternoon. It is. And so you're going to see, you've probably already seen some of these ads called He Gets Us. I want to show you a video of that, and then I'm going to equip you how to think more about the wings you're about to eat this afternoon and how to witness to people to find Jesus this afternoon. Take a look. When something big is happening, a movement, a moment, a mission that could change the world, you want to be ready. You want to learn everything you can. And right now, something big is happening. He Gets Us is a multi-year national campaign to raise the respect and relevance of Jesus in our culture. It's starting conversations. It's grabbing attention and changing minds. It's all over Twitter, in Times Square, on billboards and in stadiums. And on February 12th, you'll see it on the biggest stage in America. You'll see Jesus in the Super Bowl. The conversation is starting. Are you ready for it? Right? Okay, so that's good. So get your camera out. I'm, I'm going to coach you. Uh, right now it is 11.34. You got uh, hours before the game starts. It's not too late to invite some people, so start texting some of your buddies uh, to get to your house or just tell them you're showing up at their house, right? I, I want you to text the word live because we're living like we're dying because by the ways you are to this number to get text message reminders from us. We will text you right before the game, right? Then I want you to subscribe to Church of Hope's version 
Um, and right here, you can take a picture of this. We've got some Bible studies that will continue throughout the week. It's gonna be, it's gonna be wonderful. Hey, li- li- just give me your ears for just a minute, right? Listen, hear me. I believe this. You're gonna make a decision. You're gonna go around this afternoon and have your wings. But I, li- listen, I'm not gonna just go through the motions while I watch the people in my city, my county, my state, and my country die. This Wednesday, or this Thursday at 1030, I'm meeting with some of the fire officials. On April 22nd and 23rd, you, us, Church of Hope, we're bringing Chad Robichaud. Perhaps you've seen him on the, on the news. He has what's called the Mighty Oaks programs. I'm not gonna sit and just say, let's have another conversation why people are killing themselves. We can talk about giving more money. We can talk about having less hours. But at some point, the hope that people are looking for has a name, and it's Jesus. This is not some dress rehearsal. We have an opportunity this afternoon to get our friends. And do not tell me that you have a friend who right now does not have a hope of heaven, and you love that friend, and you wouldn't leverage everything today to use something as simple as a Super Bowl party, as easy as a Super Bowl party, to get a conversation started about Jesus. You're lying to yourself. And and listen, the conversation you're gonna have with God one day, you need to be willing to say, hey listen, I was okay, my friend could go to hell. Because I was more interested in wings on the Super Bowl than I was witnessing. The only reason to be a church is to declare that our hope is found in Jesus. The only reason to come together and say out loud, let's leverage our time, our assets, our resources. Let's leverage our lives. Let's live like we're dying because we are. And the people around us are dying. Now, during the game, watch this up on the screen. Help me out. During Super Bowl, one, I want you to take a selfie of this ad. We want to get it viral. We want the conversation not to be just in a moment on Super Bowl Sunday. We are creating a movement of people discovering hope in Jesus Christ. I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit. You got your friends. You got your little dip over here, whatever it is, right? And you're like, oh, man, your heart beating. What am I supposed to say? Oh, Holy Spirit, I am scared Help me. I love this man, and I really believe the best way to live is with you, Jesus, and the only way to die is with you, Jesus. Give me the courage. And then, questions to ask. The first ad is going to run between the first quarter and the second quarter. They didn't tell us exactly when, but somewhere in that break, the first ad. After that ad, just ask to the people in the room. And listen, This is the only show where people actually watch the commercials and talk during the game. So they're all quiet. You just simply say, hey, Jesus in the Super Bowl, what do you think about that? Don't, if they say, I don't know, I don't think that they should have been there. Say, oh, okay. You're just getting the conversation started. Jesus just started a conversation. He didn't whip out his, his Bible and say, hey, girlfriend, you know, in Numbers chapter eight and verse 13, After the second ad, the second ad is going to be the first break in the fourth quarter. So whatever that is, an injury timeout, a timeout from the team, whatever it is, you will see the second ad. And then ask this question. Do you think Jesus gets us? Just, do you think Jesus gets us? 
you get the conversation started. You get the conversation started. Good? Good? Yeah. Now, we got a lot to do this afternoon, but I also want to let you in on what's going to happen next week, because we're in this little series called For the Win. For the Win, right? And uh, now, if you got little ears here, you might cover up little ears. This is, this is PG-13, almost R in this room. That's why we have Hope Kids. But if you have a sixth grader and older, they're old enough to hear what I'm about to say right now. We go into a whole nother level next Sunday. We talking all things sex, all things love, all things marriage. There are a lot of confusion in the culture. Here's what I know. There'd be a whole lot less porn if guys like me would preach more about sex. See, you all think, I'm going to show you how real we're going to get. You all think that Hugh Hefner is the author of the big O. You think he created the orgasm. You don't understand. You think you're, you're God who you think is a prude? He created it. He put all those nerve endings right there so that when a man and woman came together in marriage, it was like, oh, Shazam, that's good. <laughs> Talk all things, sex and love and marriage. A lot of confusion in the culture right now, right? You know, is sex, are you a boy or a girl? Are you something else? What does the Bible have to say about all that kind of stuff? Your parents and kids in school, and you go out to fill out something, and you're going to fly on an airplane. Well, I don't know. What am I? Linda, there's lots. What does it mean? What, what, what is real love? And then marriage. What does it really mean to say yes to somebody in marriage? What did God have to say? So we're going to jump in that for a few weeks. We're going to get up in it. So if you don't want anything to do with that, hey, Forrest High School, come back. I'm Dave. Tell everybody at school, come back, because you're going to hear it. I wish you all could see some of your faces. I don't think that he's allowed. He was talking. It's going to be, it's going to be good. All right. So. What are you doing sitting there? We got, we got a game. We got people to win to Jesus. Why are you sitting here? Get out of here. Come on, Nat. What are you doing? Let's go. 